0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: When a dentist surgery in Bristol opened its doors for the first time last week, there were already long queues of people who've been waiting outside for hours to sign up as patients. As the day went on, the queues got longer and longer, snaking around the block. Within two hours of opening, the police had to be called to control the crowds. And three days later, the queue was still going. For many, it highlighted the crisis in dentistry across the country which is so desperate now that some people have even had to resort to DIY dental care.
2: I lost a filling from the back of one of my upper front teeth during lockdown where there was no access to dental care whatsoever. I took a very, very small bit of liquid plastic glue, placed it into the very teeny tiny hole, smoothed it down let it set, and my teeth didn't fit together and I've been doing dentistry for 23 years
1: if an experienced dentist can't make it work DIY dental care probably isn't the answer but why are people even having to consider it in a rich developed first world country
0: I was absolutely shocked. We heard that Ukrainian refugees are going back to the war zone to have their teeth fixed because it's easier to find a dentist in Ukraine. The whole system is completely broken and cracking up.
1: So why is access to dental care in modern-day Britain worse than it is in war-torn Ukraine? How did we get here? And is there a way to fix it? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, rotten to the core. What's at the root of Britain's dental crisis?
2: I'm Paul Woodhouse, I own the Grange Dental Practice in Norton and I sit on the board of the British Dental Association.
1: How long have you been a dentist?
2: I qualified uh, what seems like a thousand years ago in the year 2000. 23 years, just gone.
1: 23 years. And in that time, you know, more recently in particular, we keep hearing people are having such difficulty accessing dentists that sometimes they've started doing it themselves. Do you see much of that coming into your practice?
2: Yeah, unfortunately, I've seen DIY dentistry since day one of my career. You know, you see people putting temporary fillings in with kits they've bought from a local chemist and supermarket, and sometimes they do a pretty good job with that. You can buy a kit. Yeah, I mean, if you are travelling to the wilds of Borneo for an adventure holiday, take an emergency dental kit because they're pretty good. But um, I've also seen people put superglue and araldite in the teeth and tin foil and chewing gum. Oh, I've yeah. seen people attempt extractions. And if you've got advanced gum disease and there's no bone hole in the tooth, then pulling a tooth out is relatively easy. If you've got a massively decayed tooth, it always goes horribly wrong. And the knock-on effects from that are quite nasty, to be fair.
0: It got so painful and so wobbly, I just started pulling them out. Just looking in the
1: mirror is now difficult for Caroline. After three years searching for an NHS dentist, she resorted to pulling out 12 of her teeth. How, how often do these cases come Sadly, up? Sadly. And how serious more, are they? More and more
2: frequently. And. You know, I probably should run some sort of survey of the ones we see coming to the door we still see what are called access patients. So patients who are unique to us, we've never seen them before to get them out of trouble. Uh, And a lot of those are DIY dentistry cases or patients who haven't been able to access a dentist for a number of years for various factors. Um, In terms of how serious it can be, if you've got a heavily infected tooth, life-threatening. Really? Absolutely. The hospital services are reporting more and more people turning up with sepsis related to dental infections. Oh. In a first world country with a almost entirely preventable disease, people are going to die. That is just
1: not on. This isn't what you went into dentistry for. No, This is no, not, not the world all. you expected. Um, I mean, just take us back. When did you decide you wanted to be a dentist? Oh, I
2: haven't got any clue about that. <laughs> I, I, was, I was doing my A-levels thinking I'm going to join the army or the RAF and suddenly I applied to dental school and got in and found it was something I had a a little bit of a a talent for. Not so much the academic side where it is completely hardcore. By the time you finished your first two years of training, you could probably pass 15 different degrees before you even touch a patient. But once I got to actually working on teeth, I I loved it. it. It appealed to that little kind of OCD nature that I think every dentist has. We're all a little bit left field in our thinking dentists so we, we kind of like to tinker with things but the, the best thing about being a dentist and the, the bit that keeps me doing it every day is I get to fix people you know someone comes in with mm. a problem I can change somebody's life in as little as 20 minutes I can take somebody out of rage and pain in five minutes flat and give them a better quality of life I've just finished a case on a 16-year-old girl who never I've known her entire life never smiled ever until we got her some braces teeth were a little bit higgledy-piggledy but she also had quite a lot of heavy fluorosis on the teeth so like marcus and, and hyperplasia so her teeth looked mottled and brown and, and patchy mm. she got them straight and she came in to see me after that and I got a vague smile out of her more of a, a strained grimace but we decided we'd do something um, where we infiltrated some resin into her teeth to, just to get rid of the mottling. And now she comes in with the biggest beaming grin in history. And I feel... I don't feel like a dentist isn't a good job for a patient. I feel like a proud dad. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've looked after her entire family for the 20 odd years I've been in the practice I'm in. When I first saw the end result, I cried. Her mum cried. I wow. got thank you cards. It's wonderful the biggest thing is she just she feels like a happier more confident person when she walks in the room um, that's the bit of dentistry that everyone forgets it's especially the NHS aspect of dentistry which is just about healthcare there's a massive kind of mental health knock on from feeling good about yourself and, and mm. your smile's a big part of that
1: You know, you said that things are quite different now compared to when you first started more than 20 years ago. Yeah. What was it like then to be a dentist? What was different?
2: There was no dental budget. So if you worked as an NHS dentist, which I've had an NHS contract since day one, you did the work that was necessary and you got paid for the work that you did. So if you had a day off, you didn't earn any money. If you worked 15 hours, you earned a decent amount of money. There were some restrictions on the service, so we had a big catalogue of things we were allowed to do and not allowed to do, which was, again, similarly fantastic because the patients had a clearly defined service. Hmm. If they needed a filling, that's what the NHS would provide. If they wanted something different, they could go off the menu and pay for it privately.
1: So this is, if you want a filling that's silver... The NHS will do it if you want them one that looks a bit smarter.
2: That was that was the original rules that yeah. I grew up with. Um and I remember you could that. you could get away with anything on the NHS for a patient's benefit if you had permission from a what they called a dental reference officer. So if you What's had a patient who needed a big cosmetic job doing because they had a serious mental health issue and self esteem was down the floor, if you could justify it for a clinical reason, the, the dental officer would look at it, check your records, check your methodology and approve it. And wow. you could do anything for the benefit of the patient. That got abolished in 2006 because the Treasury really didn't like the fact there was no control on dental budgets, which is understandable. You know, fixed tax pots got to be spent in a certain way. And they introduced a system where dentists were given a lump of money called a contract value to do a certain amount of work called units of dental activity. And everything we did was. Divided up into three bands and each band had a different unit of dental activity reward. So So how does that
1: work out? Well, if you you did
2: a checkup, you got one unit of activity, a UDA. If you did a filling, you got three UDAs. And if you did a crown, you got 12 UDAs. And that would come off your total. The trouble with the system was that if you did 15 fillings, you still only got three UDAs. So if you're
0: paid... Why is that?
2: Because it was designed to limit budget and keep, get as much dentistry out of the, the dentist as so, possible.
1: So hang on, if if you're a dentist, you do one filling, you get paid a certain amount by the NHS. Yeah. If you do 15 fillings, you're still being paid that same
2: yeah, amount. Yeah, they, they've recently tweaked it to make it slightly more attractive, and now if you do three-plus fillings, you get a couple of extra UDAs, but still.
1: So why would any dentist want to do multiple fillings? You're, you're not being paid for them.
2: It was dependent entirely on the goodwill of dentists to do the right thing for the patient so
1: basically expecting you to work as a charity
2: yeah or for a loss in some cases yeah absolutely i I did a case pre-christmas where my lab charges were 600 pounds the nhs paid me just over 360 i paid the nhs to treat that patient essentially lots and lots of practices will use their private income to subsidize their nhs income that's what everyone i know does
0: I'm Rachel Sylvester, and I'm a columnist at The Times and chair of The Times Health Commission. And we've been looking at the whole NHS and social care system over the course of the year. And we've just published a 10-point plan for reform. Uh, And one of the areas we looked at was dentistry.
1: And Rachel, just give us a sense of how bad the problem is with dentistry in this country at the moment.
0: I was absolutely shocked. We heard that Ukrainian refugees are going back to the war zone to have their teeth fixed because it's easier to find a dentist in Ukraine than it is here. Wow. And it, it, people doing um, DIY dentistry using pliers, um, pieces of string to pull out their own teeth. People are getting desperate. Fights are breaking out in the queues to try and register for dentists. People are queuing around the block from 5 a.m., The whole system is completely broken and cracking up. And of course, it really matters because that means that all kinds of more serious conditions are being missed. You might miss some kind of oral cancer or Mm. other kind of much more serious conditions that can develop out of having bad teeth or a problem with your teeth.
1: It is shocking that we've managed to get into that state in this country. And if even Ukraine in middle of a war is doing better on this than we are, something has clearly gone wrong.
0: Yeah, the figures are extraordinary. So 60% of people in Ukraine can access a dentist within 24 hours if they need it. In the UK, it's 23%. Wow. And it's particularly bad for children, I think. We heard that tooth decay is now the leading cause of hospital admissions for 6 to 10-year-olds. And 26,000 children were admitted to hospital last year to have their teeth pulled out.
1: So we've got six. Tooth decay is the most common reason why five to nine-year-olds end up under general anaesthetic. But most of these
0: operations are entirely preventable. We've had five patients in this afternoon and the first patient was five years old and I took out all 20 baby teeth. And you've got people turning up at A&E as well because they can't get access to a dentist which is costing the whole system much more in the end. Dentists should be a really important part of the primary care network, along with GPs taking care of the whole patient. But there just aren't enough of them, and there there are not enough of them doing NHS work because the system is driving them out.
1: To understand how we've got into this mess, Let's just take a step back. Where does this begin? You know, go back to the, the start of the NHS. Why does dentistry go so wrong?
0: Well, what's rather fascinating, actually, is that Nye Bevan, who founded the NHS, actually resigned when charges were introduced for prescriptions and dentistry very early on. I think it was 1951 he resigned.
2: The resignation of Mr. Bevan, as a result of his opposition to the budget, and in particular to the charges on dentures and spectacles, poses all sorts of political possibilities. With his wife, Jenny Lee, MP, he leaves his Cliveden Place home for the sitting of the House of Commons, in which he was to make his remarkable personal statement.
0: The reason charges were introduced was to reduce demand. People had such terrible teeth in those days that sometimes People would give as a wedding present or a 21st birthday present, having all your teeth out so that you didn't have really? so much pain throughout your life. So people had terrible teeth and there was so much demand on dentists that they felt they had to bring in charges. So it's it goes back a long way. But then in 2006, a new contract was introduced, which made everything a lot worse. Some dentists say they're effectively working for free on the more serious cases, and they're increasingly handing back their contracts for the NHS. Half of dentists have reduced their NHS work recently, and three quarters are planning to cut back on their NHS work. So that's what's creating these dental deserts around the country. And there's also a real postcode lottery, because so many of these dentists are going private. In Mm. the areas where people can't afford that, they're just struggling to find a dentist at all.
1: So the problem begins very early on and then it all gets so much worse in 2006 with this new system. Dentists feel like they're working for free on the tougher jobs. How has that changed their behaviour since 2006? What's been happening?
0: So what it's meant is that it's encouraged dentists to do the simplest jobs and turn down the more complicated jobs, which actually might be the most needy patients and those patients who might then end up in A&E. And of course, prevention is so important in healthcare. And if you don't deal with the problem right at the beginning, then it escalates and becomes more and more serious and then becomes more expensive. I was really interested, I went to Ireland for the Health Commission to look at whether or not it was a good idea to introduce charges for GPs. And I met a woman there who talked about how her son, uh, her teenage son, had caught what she thought was a cold, which turned into flu. And she didn't take him to the GP because there was a 60 euro charge. Yeah. The whole thing then escalated and he ended up in hospital with pneumonia and very seriously sick because she was keen to avoid that charge. And that's exactly the same with dentistry. People don't go to the dentist if they think they're going to have to pay. And then it ends up sometimes escalating. Coming up,
1: there are clearly huge problems with dentistry in this country. So what are the solutions? That's in just a moment.
2: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in
0: some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
2: I'm David Badil. I'm a writer and a comedian and a Jew.
0: I'm Saeed Avasi. I'm a businesswoman and a politician and a Muslim. Jews and Muslims always seem to be in the news or on the news. Most people talk about us, and this is us talking about ourselves. The kind of things that people say don't touch, yeah. we are going to go there.
2: I mean, I think Jews and Muslims are talking about these things, but I think they're not talking about them together because they're worried that if they do, sparks might fly. A Muslim and a Jew go there.
0: Find us wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Since 2006, when you know you started seeing dentists going off in droves to do private work because it just became so much harder to be an NHS dentist, how have successive governments dealt with that problem? Have there been any great new policy ideas? And, and what's the current government going to do about it?
0: Dentistry has always been this sort of Cinderella service in the NHS, really. And dentists have always been almost at the bottom of the priority list and the funding's being cut in real terms and it's not being given the kind of focus or attention or love that's needed. But actually for patients who are also voters, dentistry is becoming a more and more important issue. I think the Patients Association said it's now the second most complained about issue after access to GPs, the inability to get a dentist. Mm. MPs talk about it being a huge issue in their postbags. So now in an election year, the government has announced they're offering what they're calling golden halos so £20,000 to dentists to go and work in areas where there aren't enough dentists.
2: We're putting more funding in to provide more NHS provision across the country, on top of plans that will see the number of dental training places increase by 40%, Mr Speaker. But I would actually just point out, our plans mean that there will be two and a half million more NHS appointments,
1: which is in fact three
0: times... that's really not very many dentists, 240 dentists they're talking about. And then they're also talking about giving a bonus to dentists who take on new patients. The problem is they're not dealing with this fundamental issue of the dental contract. All the things that are driving dentists out of the NHS and driving all these perverse incentives that aren't dealing with the problems for either patients or the health service aren't resolved by this government plan. In the Health Commission, we said there needed to be much more fundamental reform and a whole new dental contract with an annual fee paid to dentists for each patient on their books because that would then encourage them to help patients keep their teeth healthy rather than just dealing with problems once they emerge.
1: As you said, dentistry has become a real political issue. You can tell this is something people really care about. Just talk us through the measures that the government has introduced in terms of, you know, you said this is basically a sticking plaster. It's not going to change the way dentistry is done. So talk us through the figures that the government is presenting.
0: So the NHS spends about three billion pounds on dentistry a year. And amazingly enough, that hasn't gone up for 10 years. So you think how much in real terms that's been cut over that period that's worth a lot less than it was a decade ago. And what the government's announced this week is what it says is 200 million pounds more for dentistry. Critics say that's recycled money or using the existing underspend, money that dentists don't use because of this bizarre contract situation. And more importantly, more importantly really than the money, the system hasn't been changed in the way it needs to be changed. There isn't a sufficient reform in place to remove these perverse incentives and encourage dentists to stay in the NHS and ensure that the focus is put on prevention as well as on emergency treatment. Rachel, you looked at all of this with the Health Commission. What would your
1: just quick policy ideas be to to fix the problem? If you weren't just doing a sticking plaster, throwing a bit of money, making it look like it was changing things, if you really wanted to reform the system,
0: what do you do? We said that you need to have a whole new dental contract, and that should be based around an annual per capita fee for each patient that a dentist has on their books or takes on. So that encourages them to focus on prevention as well as dealing with problems when they arise. When this was trialed, it was very popular with dentists, and it made a big difference in the communities. But we also said that dentists have to be a really integral part of the primary care system alongside GPs, alongside optometrists and opticians. So they're looking after the whole patient together.
1: If there was to be whole-scale reform, if they they were to sort of try and bring a lot more of this under the, the aegis of the NHS, I mean, you've looked at the entire system. Is that something a government could even afford? And is that the sort of thing, given how the rest of the system seems to be creaking, is it something the NHS could do?
0: I don't think you can bring the whole of dentistry into the NHS right now because that would just cost so much money. But what they can do is reform the bit that is within the NHS and ensure that works properly with the best incentives possible. Paul, from everything you've
1: described, it's clearly incredibly hard to be a dentist right now, especially if you're trying to do NHS work. Yeah. You know, as, as you said, everything comes out of your profit margin. What would you do? You know, if if you were, if you were prime minister for the day, you had complete free reign, how would you fix the, the problem with dentistry in this country? I think there's got
2: to be a realistic conversation about what NHS dentistry is going to provide. So we keep getting told that the budget's not going to get any bigger. I mean, they only put enough funding in England for 50% of the population to see a dentist anyway. So straight away half of the people listening to this podcast can't have a dentist. Now, if you said that about accident and emergency services, there would be riots on the street. People would Mm. tear down the house's apartment to access healthcare. But because dentistry's not sexy and you don't really think about it until you've got toothache, nobody's bothered. It just slides away. If there's no more money, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. But you can't have a comprehensive system with poor funding. If the money stays the same... Government have got to say it's a core emergency service to get people out of pain. If you want anything else, you put your hand in your pocket. Or you've got to massively increase
1: the funding. There have been sort of some suggestions. The health committee has looked at some of this. There have been suggestions around how to fix the the problem over the last few years. None of them seem to have been adopted. Have there been other ideas that have been suggested over time that you think should have been picked up?
2: Yeah, there was um, one of my former lecturers, Professor Jimmy Steele, God rest him. He produced a report in his name, the Steele Report, years ago. What the Health Select Committee released at the start of last year, um, their recommendations were basically an, a, an updated version of the Steele Report. It was exactly the same driver. Reduced the inequality in healthcare by educating patients, giving them access reintroducing registration so everyone knew who their dentists were and paying dentists commitment payments to look after those patients. So someone was on your list, you got a fee for that patient being on your list and that was your pot of money for the year. So if you had a big list, you had a bigger pot of money, but you had more patients to be responsible for. Mm. The drivers then are, I'm not chasing a target. I'm not worried about, I have to do 25 fillings this week to hit my target. My drivers are... I really, really need to get the disease down in this patient so that patient doesn't use up time and resources and becomes healthier and better.
1: There's almost a sense, though, that the NHS sees even general dentistry as a bit of a luxury item, a non-essential. Yeah. It's not a core part of your health. Yeah. Is that right? Is, uh, that, is, that, <laughs> is, it, is it okay to ignore? I can
2: talk to you about a patient who I picked up a cancer in his salivary glands who when I first met him after he had his surgery hugged me in the aisle of the supermarket to the distress of my eldest daughter who wondered why a random stranger was giving me a cuddle. Um, Dentists will have diagnosed leukemia in patients, they diagnose everything from anemia to cancer. We are not just drilling holes in teeth and popping teeth out. We are screening healthy patients.
1: How would you Feel if you know the expenses on your practice don't get any better anytime soon. I mean, would you ever stop the NHS work?
2: I think it'll hit a tipping point sooner or later, and everyone has their own tipping point. And once that's breached, you leave the system. You have to. I How mean, would that feel? Yeah, it, it, it's it's just it's, it's heartbreaking. Uh, if if Victoria Atkins turned around tomorrow and said, "We're going to pay every dentist." X amount of money they just turn up to work and fix teeth nine to five get six weeks holiday whatever it is like a, a hospital consultant's job role don't worry about paying the bills don't worry about the building don't worry about the team or any of that I mean, I would be a dentist until the day I die because I love fixing teeth I have had this conversation probably a hundred times in the last year and there's little old grannies who need help I'll be one of the last ones who gives up my NHS contract. But there will be a point where it happens to every single... Unless there is massive systemic change, the UDA contract is torn up and somebody does something sensible, every dentist will stop doing NHS work.
1: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Dr. Paul Woodhouse from the Grange Dental Practice, and The Times columnist and chair of The Times Health Commission, Rachel Sylvester. And you can find all of Rachel's work on the future of the NHS at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. And if you want to know more about the problems facing the health service, do listen back to our episode titled, Can the NHS Be Fixed Anytime Soon? The producers today were Taryn Siegel and Chris Wade. The executive producer was Kate Ford, and sound design was by Mal Lissetto. If you found this episode useful or interesting, please do leave us a review. It'll encourage others to download it. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.